Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. At the end of 2022, Aggressive received its first FDA approval for the treatment of adults with KRAS-G12C mutated, locally advanced, or metastatic non-small cell lung cancer. Research is ongoing into Adagrasib, a KRAS-G12C inhibitor, for other tumors. My name is Laura Jost, Vice President of Content at the American Journal of Managed Care. In today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Jun Gong, the Associate Professor of Medicine and Medical Director of Colorectal Cancer in the Division of Medical Oncology at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center. During this interview, he discusses the mechanism of Adagrasib, what other tumors it is being studied in, the latest data on adagrasib in colorectal cancer, and the importance of conducting genomic testing. Thank you, Dr. Gong, for joining me. First to start, I was wondering if you could just describe the mechanism of adagrasib and how it blocks tumor activity. Just to give a little bit of background, KRAS was largely thought to be undruggable for almost the past four decades. And we were focused on targeting the downstream parallel pathways as a way to inhibit this really critical pathway, this oncogene that triggers cancer growth and proliferation. Um, Adagrasib is one of these prototype drugs um, that really has advanced our our ability to drug KRAS-G12C, and it depends on the unique features of the KRAS-G12C mutated protein. Um, With it, there is a non-native cysteine residue that is occurs in the KRAS mutant. So different it is it doesn't occur in the KRAS wild type. So there already there offers a little bit of selectivity in a window for a little bit precision targeted approach. And what happens is that when KRAS G12C shuttles between the on and off state it actually exposes this pocket. This pocket is very important. It's known as the allosteric switch two pocket, which exposes the cysteine residue. And the cysteine residue is what allows the covalent bond to form to form with the adagrasib compound and form this inhibition of the KRAS G12C. So it's a very, very exciting and interesting development recently. I know adagrasib is already approved in lung cancer. Can you go through some other cancers that it's being studied in either alone or with other agents? Yep, so adagrasib um, is being explored in colorectal cancer and pancreatic cancer as well. Reason being is because this is very important to do that because KRAS mutations also are at high prevalence in these GI cancer types in addition to lung cancer as well. So data from last winter had showed that the potential for combining adagrasib and cetuximab in CRC, there was a potential there. First, uh, can you just explain maybe why cetuximab is a good choice to pair with adagrasib? So the pairing of adagrasib with cetuximab is uh, really based on understanding of how resistance to KRAS G12C inhibition occurs. If you look at the pathway, and we really learned this from the BRAF inhibition data as well, the first and most often important point of feedback resistance goes straight back to the EGFR or the epidermal growth factor receptor. So this is one of the earliest and most important points of the feedback resistance loop, combining it with an anti-EGFR agent 
provides the rationale to overcome this this resistance pathway and increase the efficacy of the KRAS G2C inhibition. So that data from last winter um, showing the potential of combining these two, can you maybe discuss um, some of those findings? Yep. So this was the phase one slash two data of crystal one that was presented. And essentially they presented both monotherapy and combination therapy data. Monotherapy with just adagressive alone and combination with adagressive plus cetuximab. And what they really showed was that with the monotherapy arm, and this was in a heavily pretreated population of KRAS G12C mutated metastatic colorectal cancer patients, where over 30% were treated with four or more lines of prior systemic therapy. In this context, monotherapy at aggressive produced an overall response rate of about 19% and a progression-free survival of 5.6 months, while if you added anti-EGFR cetuximab to aggressive in the combination arm, the overall response rates more than doubled to 46% and the PFS was improved to 6.9 months. Most importantly, the duration of response meaning how long the patients benefited, was actually higher with the combination as well of nearly 7.6 months compared to 4.3 months with the monotherapy arm. Great. And then recently at ESMO, there was a presentation of data from Crystal One on tumor biomarkers and genomic alterations that provided a closer look at how patients respond to adagrasib plus cetuximab based on their EGFR status. So can you maybe go through what they found and why that was important? Yeah, so this was a, a very important exploratory analysis of this of the Crystal One trial. What they did was they had tumor biopsies at baseline, and then they also collected serial blood samples, kind of most importantly before and at the end of treatment. And their goal was to find biomarkers of response to the monotherapy and the combination. And so their their key findings were that using the tumor biopsies. EGFR expression, it reassuringly showed that the combination had response rates irrespective of the level of EGFR expression. You would assume, as we talked earlier, that if you have higher EGFR expression, maybe there's resistance to the combination or inhibiting this pathway. So maybe you would want lower EGFR expression to begin with to have a more enhanced effect to targeting this pathway. And although you didn't see that in the combination arm, you kind of got a signal of that in the monotherapy arm, where there may have been a lot more patients in that arm to, to do this, but it showed that in those with low EGFR tissue expression, their chances of having a response were higher in that, in that regard. And then with respect to the plasma, biomarker analyses, what they saw at pre and post treatment biopsies was that with the combination, you tended to develop more genomic acquired mutations in the MAPK pathway. So there wasn't further analysis of what the implications of that mean, but to me, it already shows that the tumors are trying to have some kind of bypass already to these kind of targeted therapies through other mechanisms or steps along the MAPK pathway. And lastly, the third most important finding from, from that study was that they measured the rate of clearance in the blood of the KRAS G12C mutation itself. 
And it was obviously important to see that clear because if it's clearing, then it's probably working. You're killing those cancer cells that harbor the G12C. And they show that if you reach a certain clearance threshold, you're likely to get more response from the combination. Great, thank you. It's pretty important that patients receive genomic testing to identify those patients who would benefit the most from Adagrasib. Um, you're in California where the law was just changed to expand genomic testing to patients in Medi-Cal. Can you kind of discuss the impact of that change? Uh, that's a very, very important change that I think greatly widens the applicability and the people that can benefit from these targeted drugs. And this is beyond just G12C in general, I think there's a lot of targeted therapies that are available. And oftentimes the most important thing that we always emphasize as clinicians is in order to have these drugs or be candidates for these drugs, you have to look because you have to be able to know that you match or you have the mutation profile to match these targeted therapies. And so with this expansion to an important patient population of ours, I, I think we're only going to benefit more people who, who should be tested and hopefully identify more patients that can benefit from these targeted therapies. And what needs to be done to educate physicians about not just the need for testing, but also the importance about waiting for those test results before making a treatment decision? That's a very, um, it's a good question, uh, but I think it's a little bit nuanced. Um, it, it may depend on the tumor type, at least in colorectal cancer and certain GI cancer populations, our patients are often quite sick. Um, and so it's sometimes a little bit trickier to wait for the next generation or molecular profiling results. And so I, I, I think it's, it's obviously important to wait for the result because it can really open new avenues for treatment. But oftentimes in my clinic, if they are a brand new, newly diagnosed stage four patient, quite symptomatic, I would start them on chemotherapy and I would wait for the results of the molecular profile and I would adapt my regimen based on those findings. So I, I think it's a little bit nuanced and, and I, I think it could be different according to tumor type as well. Great. Is there anything else that you want to discuss? Any parting thoughts for our audience? Yes. So given the breakthrough of adagrasib and cetuximab as well as sotorasib and, and panitumumab, these, although uh, they have not been formally FDA approved, I wanted to let our colleagues know, both in academic and community settings, that they are on NCCN guidelines. So they are preferred recommendations for patients with KRAS G2C mutated colorectal cancer following treatment with the first line chemotherapy. Well, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. My pleasure. From all of us at AJMC, thank you for listening to this Managed Carecast. For more updates in managed care, be sure to visit AJMC.com and sign up for our e-newsletter. To get in touch with us, you can email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us. Thanks again for listening.